Hello and welcome to Better at Work, the podcast that will inspire you to achieve betterness in your working life. Discover how to navigate the pitfalls, challenges and work jerkery that may be getting in your way. Learn how simple changes, being authentic and even using humor can be game-changing. I'm your host, Carl Quinlan. I've spent 20 years helping people and global organizations to be better. And now I'm here to share my practical tips and real-life stories with you, as well as insights from my conversations with some incredible people. So join me as we explore how we can all be better at work. Because when work is better, life is better. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of Better at Work. And I was joined on this episode by the amazing Caroline Webb. Now, Caroline has for many years worked in the behavioral science space. She was a partner at McKinsey. She's still an advisor at McKinsey. And she wrote a book called How to Have a Good Day. Caroline is someone that I have followed for many, many years. Her teachings are fantastic. She takes all the kind of brain science from the last hundred years, all the insights, and has put it into this amazing book called How to Have a Good Day. And she's got some amazing LinkedIn learning. Now, in the conversation, I got so much from her. Now, this was our first episode, so it was a bit longer. Normally, our episodes are going to be, you know, around 30 minutes. This one went on for a little bit longer, but we wanted to do that because Caroline is such a source of great information for you on really how to set yourself up for success, how you build great relationships with the people around you using brain-friendly feedback. And she also talks about how to make it sustainable and bring energy to your day. It's a fantastic interview and we have a bit of fun along the way as well. So I hope you enjoy this very first episode of Better at Work with Caroline Webb. I am beyond excited to have the amazing Caroline Webb. It's so lovely to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be talking about how to be better at work. Oh, you and me both. Now, at 17 years of age, your life philosophy was realistic idealism. Mm. Now, where did this all begin for you? Where do you think you got this realistic idealism from? And why did you become so interested in helping people transform their working lives? Well, I came from a modest background. So I I certainly came into the world with a sense of what the constraints were. And I started work at 14 uh, so that wow. I had money to buy clothes. And actually, <laughs> the, the the question of how can we be and how can we feel at our best at work really started to play in my mind then because the job was at a down at heel supermarket. It was not by any stretch of the imagination what would we'd think of as a good job. And yet I was conscious of the fact that I really enjoyed it. I liked it. <laughs> I was having a real sense of satisfaction from helping customers. And I really relished the camaraderie that uh, there was with the colleagues. And that experience really stuck with me because there were plenty of times later on in my life when I or people I was working with were having less good days in jobs that were definitely on the face of it, a lot fancier. Mm -hmm. And so that started me thinking about what it was that made the difference. And about 20 years ago, that question moved from being uh, a side interest, let's say, to being the center of my professional life so that this would be what I would focus on. How do I help uh, individuals, teams, 
organizations shift the way that people are enjoying their work, how they're performing, how productive they feel? How can we be systematic in making environments that allow that to happen? And the fact is, most of us spend nearly half our waking hours at work or at least thinking about work. And so if you can make every day just even 10% better, the cumulative effect of that in our lives and in society is just tremendous. So I feel it's a real honor to do this work. I love hearing you talking about it because you're, you can feel your passion come through. In it. And <laughs> what does a good day on average look like for someone? It's about feeling that you're spending your time on things that matter, matter in general, matter to you as well, feeling good about what you're doing, the quality of what you're doing and the impact of what you're doing, and then having the energy to do it all again <laughs> the next day <laughs> and the day after that. When we think about the days that lift us, there's usually some sense of, oh, I did things that were really important, or I did really well, or you know, I feel excited about the work that I'm doing. We can't get everything right on every day. Let's be honest, that's back to the realistic idealism. We do face constraints. There is luck. You know, we might get sick. You know, there might be bad news. The question is, what can we do with what we have? What can we do with the wiggle room that we have? And there's a lot there that science tells us is in our gift to make every day better. You say that in your book, in your teachings, that people underestimate they can control more of the day than they think they can. I really believe that too. I think early in my career, I didn't. I thought, oh, things just happened mm. to me. I started at Goldman Sachs and I was like, okay, well, everyone here must, you know, I, I should just do what I'm told here and just follow like all these emails and do whatever I need to do. But after a while, I learned actually I can control more of the day. It shouldn't be like that. But I know you're a big believer in that. Absolutely. Yes. When we know that our brain requires certain really predictable things to be at its best. Allowing yourself, for example, to have occasional breaks, even if they're very short breaks, will improve the quality of our decisions. Yeah, Paying attention to sleep will make us more emotionally resilient to ups and downs. When we know that taking even 30 seconds before going into a meeting to decide what it is that we want to notice, knowing that that will make sure that we spot the things that are most important and not miss the, the glaring opportunity that comes our way, mm -hmm. that we're too busy directing our attention elsewhere to, to actually notice. So I think there are all sorts of little things that, that start to play into the things that we notice, the things that we feel, the quality of, of what we're able to bring to the world. And over time, this accumulates into something really magical. Your book, How to Have a Good Day, there's kind of three principles that form the backbone of the book, which is psychology, behavioral economics, and neuroscience. Now, I think just for our listeners, and, and before we get right into some of the tips, maybe just a little bit on, you know, the science essentials, as you call them, like just give people a little high level on that. And then I really want to get into some of the tips. So I typically explain three things. One is that the brain has two systems that interact to create the experience that is our wonderful human selves. There's the automatic system, which takes care of most of what we do from day to day. And that is not just the physical stuff, not just breathing, not just drinking, <laughs> uh, but also... <laughs> I'm drinking lots here for anyone listening. Uh, it's been a thirsty start to the morning. <laughs> But the automatic system is also, you know, automating as many decisions as we can so that we don't have to think too hard. And the reason for that is the deliberate system, second system in the brain is everything we do consciously, 
And it's everything that we consciously think through carefully. It's planning, self-control, it's, it's conscious reasoning of pros and cons and so forth. And that mm-hmm. part of the brain, the deliberate system is actually quite limited in capacity and limited in its ability to process information, limited in its ability to work fast. And so that's the beauty of the duality of the system that we have the automatic system to, to lighten the load. But the automatic system has blind spots because it's always looking for the easiest, quickest answer rather than necessarily the right one. And so you really want to create the conditions for your brain's deliberate system to be playing its full role in making sensible choices. And that requires some thought, that requires some care, that requires perhaps a little bit more thought and care than we usually give our brain to help our deliberate system function well. One of the functions of the automatic system is, of course, also to keep us safe. And Mm -hmm. so the second big idea that I think it's useful, I find it's useful to talk about in the workplace, is the question of whether your brain is in discovery mode, pootling along, looking out of the world, excited about what rewards might be out there to seek out and discover, or whether it's in defensive mode because it spotted something that could be a threat yeah. And it's launching a defensive response. So this is, you know, people will know fight or flight or fight, flight, freeze responses. This is, this is what we're talking about here. And I think the thing that perhaps isn't as well known as it could be is that when we're in defensive mode, we are not really at our best. You know, this mm-hmm. is the situation that we're in when we're a bit snappish or when we someone is perhaps a little less kind than they would normally be Mm -hmm. or we you know we jump to a conclusion we're a little black and white in our thinking so this is characteristic of when our brain is on the defensive it doesn't take a lot to put it on the defensive and that's the other thing to know so anything which undermines our feelings of self-worth or social standing you know feeling a bit out of our depth feeling perhaps we're having our toes trodden on, all this stuff which happens so much in the workplace, you know, without ill intent, really. And so you're surrounded by a lot of people who are on the defensive for moments at a time, sometimes longer than a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And getting more aware of that allows you, first of all, to think better of the human race, but it also gives you some keys into what you can do to help them get out of defensive mode and sometimes to get yourself out of it too. And then the third big, big idea is the mind-body loop and the fact that the way you treat your mind affects your body, but the way you treat your body also affects your mind. So that's a theme that comes up a lot too. The point there on particularly the workplace and how we can get defensive at times. I used to say, oh, I'm having a snippy day today. I'm feeling like I'm a (laughs) bit more snippy than usual. And I do apologize. It's, you know, you go into a meeting, you feel like you've done a lot of work on something and maybe someone says something and you get a little defensive. And so I I love that from your book. Tiredness and all of that, as you said, adds to it and makes it even worse. Exactly. You're more reliable. You're more likely to go on the defensive if you're tired. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, they're all going to be wanting to be hearing the seven tips. Seven tips for a good day. Priorities, productivity, relationships, thinking, influence, resilience, and energy. I think you did a great job with this. You've broken those seven into three categories. And you say, first of all, it's about setting yourself up for success. Next is uh, feel great about everything you do. And finally, it's making it sustainable and enjoyable. Let's start with a little bit of setting ourselves up for success. You talk about this around priorities, setting priorities, etc. But you give us a little bit more about setting ourselves up for success. What do you think is the main thing there people need to think about? Well, I think 
people are aware that the way that you start your day might have an effect on the way that you experience it. The depth of that effect is perhaps not so obvious. The fact that if you start any interaction, any task with your mind on one topic, your brain will be sure to make sure you see everything that is linked to that topic and you might miss other things completely. And you know you know that if you've got out of bed on the wrong side and somehow everybody is annoying all day, <laughs> that is your brain doing a, a very clever pattern matching saying, okay, you've actually got very limited conscious attention. So let me direct it to what seems most relevant. And what seems most relevant is what you have top of mind. So, you know, you seem to be in a bad mood. So let's make sure you see everything that confirms the world is a terrible place. So your grandmother was right. It actually is unhelpful to get out of bed on the wrong side. That is actually, <laughs> a, you know, she, she was right. She was a behavioral scientist before her time. She didn't know it. She didn't know it, but you know, a lot of, a lot of this ancient wisdom, you know, mm -hmm. is actually now very clearly backed up by what we see in the science of human behavior and attention. And so if you think about how that applies to our day and how we're thinking about how we go into any meeting, any, any day that's ahead of us, getting our head in the right place, doing mental preparation is actually incredibly important. The good news is, although that sounds quite heavy, it doesn't take very long. You simply have to take uh, 10, 15 seconds to say, okay, what really matters most to me today? And what does that mean I want to make sure I pay attention to? Or you might sort of break it down. I have a little alliteration, which helps me, which is what's my aim? What assumptions am I making that I might want to check and challenge? And uh, what's my attitude? What attitude do I want to carry into this? Knowing that my brain will make sure that I see things that link to my aim, that confirm my assumptions and <laughs> resonate with my attitude. One day this really came home to me when I was a bit annoyed about a meeting we were meeting clients for the first time. We were kicking off with them. I felt we should have gone and met them in person. There was a colleague of mine, Lucas, who did not feel the same way, did not think it was that important, had set up this video conference and oh my God, I was grumpy. I was really worried about it being a bad meeting to be specific. And so the meeting played out. It was not great. Uh, there was lots of sort of people stopping and starting and kind of, I felt that there was a bit of tension with us in our room and them on screen. And... Then at the end of the meeting, you know, I thought, well, I've got to talk to Lucas about this and say, you know, I'm a bit worried about how we've got off to the wrong start. And when I did this, he was absolutely gobsmacked. He said, I have, I've literally no idea what you're talking about. He said, don't you remember those moments when, you know, we were laughing about this or that? Or mm. don't you remember the moment when the client said, this is great. I'm, we're really happy about how <laughs> this is going. And, and that. It's so interesting. It was as if we were in a different meeting. And in effect, we were because we are each going through reality with our own cognitive perceptual filters driven by our ingoing state of mind. And my ingoing state of mind, I was assuming it was going to be a bad meeting and therefore my brain saw everything that confirmed that was correct. I'm not saying that it was the best meeting in the world, but my goodness, I missed a ton of opportunities to make a more positive contribution to that meeting. And if I'd gone in with a different 10 seconds intention top of mind to say, okay, yes, Caroline, this may not be set up as you wanted it to be. <laughs> what really matters most here? Okay, make a connection with the clients, make them feel like this is going to be a great project. And what does it mean you want to notice? Well, maybe I'll notice when there are times when we can build on each other and kind of make sure that there's sort of, you know, people's concerns are being heard. And if I'd done that, I would have had a different meeting. But more importantly, perhaps, you know, I would have been a better contributor and I would have been a positive force for good. 
And it's probably the quickest, deepest, single, most powerful thing that you can do just to be more attentive to that because it really shifts what you perceive. And that's ultimately your reality. I love it. I love it. So a big part of setting yourself up for success is think about the grandmother, what side of the bed you get out on and go into those meetings or whatever challenges that come into the day, thinking about what are you bringing? What, what behavior are you bringing? What are you looking out for? Are you just looking for everything to kind of affirm what might be in your head at that moment, the negative or whatever? Exactly. And I know in setting yourself up for success as well, you talk a lot about setting priorities. So you've got the behavioral priorities for the day, but then you've also got, well, what goals do I want to achieve? Like, you know, what report do I need to get out? What person do I need to talk to, et cetera? And, and I know you've got some really great ones. And one that I've used for years is when then. Mm. When this is done, then we'll move to that. But can you share with the listeners just some of the ways they should think about setting priorities to get those big goals at work done or, or, or something they want to achieve? Yeah. All of us have a list of things that roll from day to day. <laughs> yes. And make you feel slightly uh, sad when you look at, look at them undone. Yes. I know that list. One of the things that I've really shifted to over the last uh, 20 years is really being kind to my brain and understanding that overloading it is not actually going to result in more work getting done. That actually the best thing to do is to give it one thing to do at a time Mm -hmm. and to keep a short list in front of me, to only put today's tasks in front of me. Pick bite-sized tasks. Mm -hmm. So don't put learn French on your to-do list and expect that that's going to really, you know, be a goal that's going to be achievable every day. You want to say, uh, do 10 minutes on Duolingo, do one lesson on Babbel or whatever your preferred app is. Be as specific as you can, make it bite-sized, make it something that you can really wrap your arms around. And then I really feel that for me, the when then has been very powerful as well, because one of the things that you know we have to go back to with our realistic optimism or our realistic idealism is, yes, we're optimistic about all the things we can achieve today. And also reality has its own way of intervening and we can't control that. What helps is, again, that moment of decision where you're trying to decide, do I do this thing that I know I said I wanted to do, which was to go for a walk every day? Do I do it? Your deliberate system, very easily overwhelmed, yes. very easily you know, going to say, oh, that's all too hard to think about. So how can you make it easier? You think ahead, you think what's going to be the obstacle in that moment? So when I look outside and it's raining, then I will tell myself there's an umbrella by the door. You pick that up and you put a hat on. And then you head out. And if we have something that this is what um, scientists call an implementation intention, we are 300% more likely to actually do the thing that we've said that we wanted to do. It's all about giving our brain help in that moment of you know decision-making panic about whether you're going to do the thing that has long-term payoff, but takes a bit of short-term effort. And I use your when then, I mean, you know, when I go to the gym, then I can have chocolate. When I complete this piece of work, then I can treat myself by watching Made in Chelsea. Now, I know that sounds terrible because no one should be watching Made in Chelsea at my age, but I love seeing Chelsea. Um, (laughs) So, but I give my. (laughs) And what what you're doing is you're helping your brain by making things as specific as possible. Yes. In general, our brain finds it a lot easier to to process things that are specific rather than abstract. And so that's, that's what you're doing with that. And it, it, it's really, it's really powerful. It's delightful to hear you say that. 
Now, also on productivity, we have been told for years multitasking is good. I remember when I worked in corporate, when I first joined in London, and it was like, you've got to be able to multitask. It's really important. I know you are not a fan of multitasking. Can you share with our listeners why not? You know, it's your brain that's not a fan of it. So the automatic system do things in parallel. Your deliberate system, anything that requires conscious thought, cannot. And so when you think you're actually on a Zoom and you are listening with one ear, but you're typing, what's happening is you're forcing your deliberate system to switch its attention from one thing to the other. And in each of those teeny, teeny, tiny little switches, you might not realize it, but you're losing a tiny bit of focus and a little bit of time. And that's what you see in the research, that when a task actually requires conscious attention, and we try to do more than one thing at once, even just with two simple tasks, we end up slowing ourselves down by a good 30%. There are plenty of studies that suggest it's worse than that. Mm -hmm. And we make between two and four times as many errors. And you know this, because if you're walking behind someone on the street, and they're looking at their phone, they're wobbling all over the place. Yeah. You, you know when you're on a Zoom or mm-hmm. you're on a call with someone and, and that you can just hear them typing. Absolutely. And they're just much less interesting because they're like, they're, mm-hmm, Yes. Mm-hmm. Computer says no. <laughs> that is actually what is happening. Your brain has less mental energy available yep. to do things like walk in a straight line and give interesting, thoughtful answers to what you're saying. So it's a real thing. It's a real issue. If I said to you, there's a magical way that you can get 30% more time in your day, you'd say, please give me that. And the answer is do more single tasking. So bring your attention to one thing at a time, close notifications down, shut down tabs, windows, whatnot. Even if you manage to do 10, 15 minutes of focus thinking on the thing that matters most to you in the given day, you'll get to the end of the day feeling much more like you've done what was important on your to-do list. We've spent a little bit of time on the setting ourselves up for success around the whole priorities and productivity. One final thing on that is I think a lot of people find it difficult to say no. You have some great teachings on giving a positive no. You have finite amount of minutes each day. Anything you say yes to means no to something else. So the positive no really helps you not put the other person on the defensive by leading with your no. You mm. lead with warmth by you know thanking them and remembering to appreciate the, the request, which often we forget to do if we're very stressed about having to say no to something. Mm-hmm. Then we, we lead with what we're saying yes to. I am focusing on writing a book, let's say. I'm excited about the work, but it's very all-consuming. And as a result, I'm having to say no to many things that I would otherwise enjoy doing. And I'm going to have to decline your request. My apologies. End with warmth. I do wish you all the very best with your project. That is a very different way of launching into saying no than saying, I'm really sorry I have to say no. Mm -hmm. And if you lead with that, then you worry more and the other person hears the no more and the leading with the yes is the thing that makes it easier to 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 communicate the priorities that you're setting that positive no is is genius now i know the second big focus area that you talk about in your teachings is feeling great about everything you do and this is where we move into the kind of relationships thinking and influence relationships at work i think it's such a central part to how you feel at work right i don't know if you've seen the program selling sunset no it's like it's probably 
probably don't watch it, but it's quite a, it's kind of like a trash <laughs> We're TV. We're getting a good insight into your TV I habits. I know, I know, I know. I do watch other good stuff, but I do love a little bit of reality. But oh my God, I was thinking of you watching it because there was a lady, Mary, who'd become this new manager and she was giving feedback to someone that was now in her team and it was going really badly. It was all aggression from the start. She kept using words like, as your boss now. I came out of it going, she needs brain-friendly feedback. I mean, seriously, they are never going to get anywhere with this conversation. Um, so relationships are important. Tell us a little bit about brain-friendly feedback and using that to help build relationships, either with your team or people around you? It goes back to the brain's defensive mechanism, which recognizes potential threats and then launches a defensive response that puts us into fight or flight mode. And if you think about what's most perfectly tuned to put you on the defensive, it's criticism. Mm. It's negative feedback because remember I said that anything that undermines our feelings of self-worth or social standing will be perceived as a threat by the brain. Well, criticism, however constructively it's, it's worded, is effectively saying you could do better. You mm -hmm. didn't do this and you should have done that. And so that is a deep challenge. And what do you want to do to allow someone to be able to hear and process negative feedback uh, so that they're not on the defensive? Well, you need to be as thoughtful about the things that they're doing well. Now, that seems sort of obvious, but I will say that one of the biggest themes in the work that I do with leaders that I'm coaching is that they don't realize that they're not that specific about the positive feedback that they give. And so what they do is they'll say to people, oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. That's fantastic. Yep. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Here are these three things that you're not doing uh, as I would like, or here are three things you could do better. And all they focus on is because our brain likes specificity and finds it easier to process specifics than generalities and abstractions. What they'll hear is the three bad things. And so then they're on the defensive. So you need to be as specific about the positives. And I have a little framing for that, which is what I liked about that is, and the reason why is because blah, 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 like really forcing yourself to mm -hmm. stay a specific. What I liked about you calling out the fact that you were drinking water was that it was really human. It reminds people who are listening that we are two people having a really enjoyable conversation and that staying hydrated is really important. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so, you know, the thing is that we don't usually give very, very specific feedback. We just say, oh, it's fun when you did the drinking thing. And if you actually slow down and you're very specific about saying what well, I liked, why? Uh, because it had this effect. Then you earn the right to say, and what would make me like it even more is. When they're not on the defensive, then they can properly hear what you're saying to them. That line I have used for years, what I like about this, I used to say it to my team and they're listening now going, oh God, here he goes. What I, I liked about your presentation was X, what would make me like it make more is blah. And it's much better than the kind of, everyone knows sometimes it's kind of like a shit sandwich, you know, like, yeah. pardon my yes. French, yes. but it's like, you know, yes. it's people are waiting for it. Whereas when I learned that from your teachings, I was like, actually, this is nicer. It's keeping people in a creative space more because they're not getting into the defensive as quickly. They might still feel a bit like, oh, but I found it got me further with the person than the crap sandwich. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it, it just, it feels different when it's done to you. It really does feel very different. It does feel more like 
oh, there's something that I could improve rather than your, your crap. Now, finally, on the, your kind of tea tips, you, you talk about sustainable and enjoyable, and you've got two tips there around resilience and energy and resilience sailing through the setbacks. How do you maintain a cool head? You know, when something bad happens, think to yourself, how am I going to feel about this a year from now? And of course, you also talk about energy and how to boost your enthusiasm and enjoyment. And one final thing I'd love to talk about is the fake smile. Tell our listeners about the fake smile because I love it. Well, the research on this is a bit mixed, but it goes back to what we were saying earlier on about the mind-body loop. And the fact is that, you know, when we are happy, we tend to smile. This Mm -hmm. is not true in all cultures, but it is often true. And, you know, what a smile looks like on my face might not be the same as on yours. But, you know, there is this sort of this instinct uh, to show pleasure uh, on our faces. And what's been found is that if you mimic any aspect of uh, happiness or relaxedness uh, in your body, you know, for example, breathing deeply, it tells your brain that you're apparently in a relaxed, happy state of mind. And so, you know, the challenge with the the facial feedback, the 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 fake smile research is that if someone tells you to smile, <laughs> that is not a recipe for happiness. But if you tell yourself, could I find something to smile about? Uh, which, you know, for me might be my dog memes, for you uh, might be, you know, your something ridiculous that you've seen uh, on one of your TV shows, just bringing it to mind, you know, whether you really smile particularly broadly or not, it creates a positive feedback loop. And it's it's very striking. And I think that the evidence is probably stronger over breathing, but humor, there's no doubt that just the sheer fact of, of finding something to smile about, something to laugh about, allows us to remind ourselves that actually we're not in a state of panic, (laughs) that there are things, there is humor that we can find about a situation. And that allows us to do that distancing. It allows us to rise above whatever is uh, troubling us at the moment. And that's why the distancing technique that you mentioned also works so well by saying, Mm. in a year's time, what will I look back and think about? And actually, I tend to try and combine the two. I say, in a year's time, what will I look back on this and think is hilarious? Oh. And that and that, well, maybe hilarious is sometimes a bit of a stretch, but at least, you know, what will I find funny? <laughs> what will I find funny about this in a year's time? And you're doing a few things for yourself there. You're, you're bringing a bit of humor, which then tells your brain, oh, everything can't be awful. There must yes. be some, something that's not terrible here. Gets you off the defensive. That really can help in the heat of the moment, I have to say. And so for the listener, there is loads more you can discover on all of the tips in more detail. Go and check them out. If I was to ask you, what would be the smallest change our listeners could do to have an impact and have a better day at work tomorrow? What would you say? I think if you could do one thing, it would be to end each day by taking a moment to think back and draw your attention to three good things that happened. Mm. And the reason for that is, you know, yes, there's you know evidence on gratitude that it gives us a boost to reflect on what's good in our lives. But it goes back to the importance of directing our attention to something that is very deliberate. If we put good things top of mind, then we're much more likely to then notice more good things mm-hmm. and more good things after that. So they don't have to be big on, you know, honestly, on days that are not great. You know, my husband and I might sit on the sofa and we'll be thinking, yeah, okay, what was good today then? (laughs) And, you know, it can take a little bit of effort, but we always do it because it does make a significant difference to how you look back and think about the day, but also then how you think about the day to come. And, you know, that is a tremendously powerful few seconds of intervention that I'd recommend everybody 
have a go at. Is that Dan and Chip, he talk about it a little bit, the peak end rule as well, you know, like. Um, yes, that is it. That's that's the science behind it. We yeah. can't remember everything from a day. We we have imperfect attention and imperfect recall. And you tend to remember what is the most intense moment of the day and the way the day ends. And so, you know, you can't always control the peak, but you can certainly control the end by doing this little exercise. So, yes. So thank you for bringing out the science behind it. This is definitely it's the peak end rule. This is the geek coming out of me. May watch Made in Chelsea and all this crap but I do love all of the science side of this <laughs> you like your behavioural science I love too I the, love yeah, I love the peak end <laughs> side of things I mean they talk a lot about that if you're yeah. going on holidays try and set it up that you have a peak moment in the holiday and that you end on a high because yes. it's likely that you're going to yes. have a better holiday and remember it well now tell us about Donna Summers I feel love because I know Donna Summer and I feel love has a big part in your life <laughs> <laughs> You know, when you write a book, you want to put some of your own self into it, of course. And, you know, but sometimes the, these things just stay with you then for years and years and years. So I wrote in the book about, you know, knowing yourself and knowing what gives you a boost because your brain is very associative. And if it hears a song that it, you associate with a, a particular state of mind, like feeling great and feeling excited and mm-hmm. ready to go on stage, then it'll recreate a large amount, 60 to 90% of that sensation, some studies suggest. So I went to a Blue Man Group show and the finale song was Donna Summer's I Feel Love. <laughs> and it was amazing and super. And I was so impressed by the, you know, the professionalism and the impact of the performers. And so whenever I wanted to have a bit of a boost, and especially when I was about to go on stage to give a talk, I would at least hum in my mind Donna Summer's I Feel Love. <laughs> and this became just a way of just recreating self-priming. And effectively, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're saying, I know that this will prime me in a certain way. I'm going to use this very deliberately. You might have a chair that you sit in that always makes you feel smart. That is totally fine. I mean, lucky pants. You know, this is your brain having an association with a thing. And if you believe that it creates a certain state of mind in yourself, then there's a good chance it actually does. And so go for it. Well, you got to get that song on tonight over there in London. (laughs) We finish every interview with the question. Can you recall the best advice you received that made you better at work? It's hard to pick one because I've really had a lot of really fantastic mentors over the years. But I I thought one thing that was interesting was a time when someone who became a mentor, actually, you know, particularly as a result of this exchange, said to me, if you can be clear with me about what you want, I can do my best to help you achieve it. And if you're not clear and I don't know, I can't. And the situation at the time was that I had ended up being double booked onto two different projects as a management consultant. And it wasn't my fault, but in retrospect, there was probably, you know, some things I could have done to try to avoid it. And I was really stuck because I was being pulled in two directions by these two different teams. And one of them was his team. And I wanted to do the other project. And yeah, so this was tough. And he said, look, Caroline, you know, and I was dithering. And he said, just if you tell me what you want, I can help you achieve it. What I liked about that so much was that it really helped me understand that clarity is in itself a powerful thing for our Mm. aspirations and for our boundary setting. And it came through many times in my life after that, that, you know, if I said what I was trying to do, you know, when I said I wanted to do more coaching, 
my colleagues were able to help me find ways to build that practice. Uh, mm. If I hadn't said it explicitly and just thought, oh, well, I, you know, I, I, I just want to try and do this, then of course there was no way that people could help me. And the same thing with setting boundaries and saying, you know, I will be back in 20 minutes. Mm. It turns out that actually that clarity is its own gift to people and then people can work with that. I really like that. I mean, Brené Brown says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And I love that. I do think being clear on what you want and, and where you want to go to is kind. It is kind. It's, it's yes. good. And it gives people the opportunity to help you as well. So I love that. That has been amazing. I have loved it. Everyone that knows me will know I'm was so excited to get to talk to you. You are such an inspiration. You have written such an amazing book and your LinkedIn learning, etc. is honestly, I recommend it to everyone. So if people want to know more about you, the book is at carolineweb.co forward slash book. And of course, her amazing course is linkedin.com forward slash learning how to have a good day at work with Caroline Webb. You will find that on LinkedIn. Caroline, thank you so much. I've loved it. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Welcome to Let's Take This Offline. We're very excited to be here for Let's Take This Offline. This is where I talk to a very good friend of mine, Annette Slow. Now, Annette and I have worked together for many years and have become great friends. And Annette and I do this all the time ourselves. When we listen to a podcast, etc., we will often chat and go, what were the two or three things we took away from that podcast so that we can actually use them tomorrow? So that's what we want to bring here. So Annette, welcome. Hi, Kahal. So good to be here. Really excited and really happy to be part of Better at Work. Well, I'm so happy to have you here with me, Annette. What did you think of her on our opening episode? The two things that I loved, I suppose the whole concept around how to have a good day. And through my 25 years plus experience, Kahal, it's an insight that I keep coming back to. Working in product management, marketing, transformation, risk for many years, I know you can have the best products, the best processes and policies, great customer experiences, great employee experiences. But if the way that people show up to work, show up to meetings is not working as dysfunctional, all of that doesn't count. It all unravels and no one's having a good day. No one's having fun. And then as well, I love setting your priorities for the day, implementation, intention about those priorities and having those in place. I loved how she, her own life started off that she found that she was very happy in her job in a grocery store and how she felt that people were even happier there than when she went into corporate world. And I love how she set her own intentions to get involved more in her passion, which is this whole changing the day for people at work. I loved Kahal hearing more about Caroline, more about her life story coming through in your conversation with her. And I totally resonated. I started my working life working in a supermarket and I loved mm -hmm. that job and made lots of good friends there. And I think those, those three things about loving what you do, being able to see how what you're doing matters. That third thing about having the energy 
to put behind those two objectives and and all the tips there about sleep and hydration and, and doing things you love. What I loved in the interview as well, she talked about how you can do better in those relationships. I, I obviously shared with her my TV watching Selling Sunset and talking about Mary from Selling Sunset. You know, I loved the tips that she gave on how to build good relationships with people, particularly the brain friendly feedback even in terms of feedback, telling people when they're doing really good things. What I liked about what you did yesterday, Annette, on that call was X and Y. It was so good. You made the client feel so good. How great. That's a simple thing for building relationships. Don't you think, Annette? Like it's not rocket science. I love that formula of what it was that was really great and positive, why it was great because, adding the what, why and the because, I really like that. Also love, Kahal, that you brought up the positive no. I've been peddling that for years, particularly, I think you and I would say we're pleasers, right? We're people pleasers. Yes, I am deeply in Gretchen Rubin's <laughs> obliger category. I, I, the people pleaser. And if you want me to do something, I want to jump to it. You've got a hoop. I want to jump through it. And I think that leads to what we're all have been experiencing these last two years is that you can't keep that up. You'll then move into burnout or you trigger that obliger rebellion where you can do no more. Well, and I think that's a very important tip for people that are listening to our podcast, right? You know, the more you say yes to things, it's meaning you're saying no to other things on your list. And you've really got to remember that. And it is hard because you don't want to say no to your boss, maybe, etc. But also having little tips. She does this great in the book. She talks about ways to give your boss choice around things and say, look, here are all the things that are already on my to-do list. Which ones do you want me to deprioritize, etc.? Annette, is there anything else you would say to the listeners that they should kind of do tomorrow off the back of what Caroline said? I think, Kahal, it comes back to the setting intentions. Yes. When, when you're going into meetings or into discussions or into an intense work situation of having spent that time about your intentions and how you want to show up and having those intention implementations when you feel yourself moving into that. And Kahal, you said that that snippy mode and I I can go there myself. So having that, okay, uh, having a plan of when you feel those, recognize those feelings or those triggers, have your, what would Stephen Colbert do? Yes. I have what would Gretchen Rubin do. Sometimes I have amazing leaders that I've worked with. I think uh, what would John do? What would Michael do? And and have those go-to implementation plans that you can pull yourself back, get out of cranky, snippy mode and get back to real Annette or or real Kahal and, and the way that we want to and know that we can show up at our best. I would agree with you, Ned. Some of that stuff around setting better intentions for the day is really important. Really thinking about your relationships with people and using brain-friendly language wherever possible. Thinking about the energy and sustainability of these things and doing the things you heard her say even. If you get a little bit of relaxation from watching some crap on TV, well, actually, that might give you an energy boost and think about what are those things. But I thought she was great. I loved it. Big, big fans of Caroline Webb and Brain Friendly Science. 
Now, this is the part of the podcast where we actually have you contact us. And we've actually had a lot of contact even already, even before we went live. Annette, you remember we were getting posts on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and I was getting so many different types of questions, everything from my managers are too busy in the day to day to think strategically, right through to very basic questions going, I've become a manager for the first time. Help, I don't know what to do. And so throughout the series, we are going to try and help with some of those particular questions or challenges that you have in the workplace. There's no challenge too big or too small. Please contact us through the website. You can leave us a voice note. You can email us. Annette, who have you got? Kahal, we've had an email in from Angus. Angus has written in, I have a recurring weekly meeting that is driving me nuts. We've been doing this meeting for six months. It's with a more senior person from another area and it just feels like an interrogation. There are six or seven of us on this call every week. I dread it. I'm frustrated going in. I know that the update I share on our great work will be extracted from us. And there will be no positive feedback. Our approaches will be challenged, will be given additional work that will be in the form of frustrated demands and criticisms and discussions will devolve. Would love to know what you think we can do. I feel that the hole is too big to dig our way out of. Poor Angus, that's a really tough position to be in. Angus, I think start with kindness and compassion for yourself. This does feel hard and the reason is it is too hard. Six months of a weekly bad meeting really tainting that day and, and, and maybe other days as well and the lead in the prep, etc. So starting with kindness and compassion for yourself and also everyone else on that call as well. I would say that you know if we look back to Caroline's teachings and research and the science there, taking some of those about being prepared with your energy and I know Angus you're probably already doing this but is this the morning that you you should make sure you go to the gym or go for a run you've had a great breakfast but you've also done that work around your intentions going in about how you show up so if you're going in with dread and frustration and annoyance that's going to come through and your tone of your voice your body language the things that you'll say and it might be about changing that so rather than giving an update in the session you share the update in a document earlier i actually think he needs to have a discussion with the more senior person put on his brain friendly feedback and he needs to go in there with maybe some positives to start what i like about the meeting is X and Y, what would make me like it more is if we could get some positive feedback on what we're doing. I think that's really powerful, Kahal. And having that conversation, that's really the first thing and the best thing to do. But maybe he also needs to think about maybe having a conversation with someone, a mentor first to kind of go, look, I'm feeling like this. It it might be that I wouldn't want him to have the conversation with the boss tomorrow if he feels he's really in a deep hole. Try and get himself out of the hole, have a conversation with a mentor or someone he trusts. Then I would definitely be proposing having the conversation, but don't have that conversation if you are really in a bad hole. Sort yourself out first then the conversation. And I agree with you, Annette, some of the things, how he's showing up, et cetera, as well. That would be my advice. And I think, again, Angus, 
kindness and compassion to yourself yes. and others and also this more senior person, what's going on for them yes. ar- around us as well. The more senior person may be having a real challenge, may have a micromanager, may have, we don't know the situation, but that's where I think if Angus can get the courage to have the conversation, once he feels good about it, then I think that will be the right approach. But I agree, Angus, please take care and do remember that in most companies, there are care and HR helplines, et cetera, in place so that if you're feeling really down and out and really upset. They're there to support you. Thank you for writing to us. And Annette, of course, we'll have you back on the next episode. So that's how it works, guys. After every interview, Annette will join me and we will do Let's Take This Offline. And please do send us your questions in. We've got lots of different ways for you to do that. You can actually just send me a message through LinkedIn, also on Instagram. Uh, We're more than happy to take them there, but also through our website that is betteratwork.com.au. If you go on there, you'll see a contact us part of the website. And then it's super easy. All you have to do is put in your question there or upload your audio. So if you want to record your voice of your question, we'd love to hear that too. And we would play it on air. There's lots of ways to do it. And uh, we very, very much look forward to hearing from you. So that's it, Annette. That's our first episode done. So good, Kahal. So much fun. And I'm really loving doing this. Well, I'm loving it too. And I really appreciate you coming on the Better at Work journey with me. And I'm very excited for the series we have ahead. So anyone that is just joining for the first time, please join for all the episodes. We've got some great guests coming up. So please uh, enjoy this series of Better at Work. And we're looking forward to being connected to you all. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye from us. Thank you for listening to Better at Work with me, Carl Quinlan. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and rate, review or subscribe as this helps others find the podcast. For more practical tips, simple tools and ideas on how to aim for betterness, head on over to betteratwork.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. Until next time, watch out for those work jerks and keep reaching for better.